Good morning, doctors. This is episode one, and today I'd like to discuss becoming great. Specifically, I want to talk about how to run a powerful clinic that uh, transforms your community and helps you make six figures in the first year after you graduate. And uh, here's the thing, like a lot, a lot of students in school, you guys don't realize that this is even possible. And, and I'm telling you now, it's not impossible. The, the, I, I know, for example, um, there's a network that I've been a part of for the last five or so years called Max Living, and they have a program called the Health Center Program, Max Living Health Center Program. Um, and that actually puts young doctors into powerful practices where they're able to serve at, at such a high level that they meet all those goals. And typically, typically what happens if you make it through the program, because here's the thing, they're, they're, there's only 20% of people that make it through their program. It's so rigorous. Um, but once you get through, they give you your own clinic and it cash flows within the first six months. And yeah, you're going to grind for the first two years. But by the end of year three, you end up having a positive net worth, which for those of you guys that are in school, you realize like all the kinds of loans you're taking, you might even be um, working, trying to work while you're going through school. That debt is huge. And so to go from a negative net worth to a positive net worth, that, that equivocates to a positive self-worth. So that's awesome. And then usually within the first five years, they have the whole clinic paid off and it's, it's free and clear. And uh, so I can't imagine... Um, what it would be like to do anything else. There's so many that have the opposite story. They get out of school, they want to be paid $100,000 a year to be an associate with somebody, but they don't know how to do anything there. Um, they've got terrible hands, they don't adjust very well, they don't know how to communicate the principal, and they don't know how to get new patients, and if they did, they wouldn't even know how to close them to care. And so the doctors that hire them only pay them thirty dollars or $40,000 a year because they're not worth much. In fact, the doctors have to spend extra time to try and teach these young doctors how to, how to be worth something in the clinic. And, and that's embarrassing. You know, the fact that you can get out of school and you can be a terrible adjuster, a terrible communicator and terrible at business. And, uh, think that you can just hang a sign and, and make money right away. But contrasting that with this other program, and I'm not saying that I want to sell it to you. I'm just saying that's the potential. That's what's out there. The fact that people are able to come out and be exceptional. And so today I want to talk about the difference between good doctors and great doctors. Um, so before I dive into that, I want to, I want to stop and, and, uh, tell you guys a story that I heard recently. Um, it, it's about a guy named, well, a guy in his team, the guy's name is Ben Hunt Davis. You guys can Google this, but he was part of an eight man rowing team that won Olympic gold at the Cindy, Sydney Olympics in 2000. And so in the year 2000, uh, they, they looked at their whole training schedule and they realized that if they were going to get gold. They had to do something different than what they'd been doing for years and years in their program. And uh, so the first thing they did was they wrote down exactly what their goal was. They know that at some point in time this year, they're going to be in the water on their boat and they're going to need to row it 2000 meters in five minutes and 18 seconds. And so in order to get there, there's, there's so many things you guys realize that go into making an athlete function at peak performance. And, and, you know, you can start with, with just the training, the nutrition, um, all those normal everyday things, uh, like what, what sort of training protocols are they going to have? Are they going to have any fancy equipment? They're going to have any fancy, uh, you know, they're going to monitor their heart rate. Are they going to put them on a, on a, you know, VO two max gauge and you can really get buried in the weeds. But what they decided to do was keep it simple. And 
they decided to funnel everything they did through one question. Will this make the boat go faster? Will this make the boat go faster? And because they did that for a solid year, when they got to Sydney and they had their boat in the water and they were getting ready to row that 2,000 meters, they did it. And they did it in five minutes and 18 seconds and they won Olympic gold. And so right now what I want to talk about is how are, how are we going to get ourselves in the same mindset? And I would say simply asking yourself, will this make me great? Filter every decision, every class you're going to take, every um, every elective that you want to take, every, every workout you can do, every food you're going to eat, every weekend you want to burn. Asking yourself, will this make me great? And figuring out what that balance is between work and play. And uh, so what I want to jump into here is, is I was listening to uh, Dr. Cameron Maynard. He's, he's a doctor in the Max Living Network. And he was talking about how, how he screwed it up, basically. Um, and, and he wouldn't mind me saying this. He, he was saying, you know, when he was in chiropractic school, um, you know, it's supposed to be, uh, you know, work hard, play hard, right? But, but he was really just play hard. Like he, he didn't work hard. He didn't do great in school. And, and you may even have some peers that are saying that, yeah, it's okay. Like, you know, I failed this class and I failed that class and I'll just retake it and it's fine. C's get degrees. It's like, well, why, why screw around? I mean, I know a lot of schools, it's, it's like $150 a credit hour, right? So you fail a four credit hour class, it's like, all right, $150 times four, that's $600 you just burnt because you couldn't figure out how to manage your time. And it required more of you than you were able of giving. And I'm not saying you got to be class valedictorian to be a great doctor, but listen, you got to figure out your work ethic now so that, um, because the thing is you're going to have patients someday who are counting on you and your greatness to help them realize their God-given healing potential. And so the three biggest pitfalls that Cameron nailed down that most students fall into that prevent them from getting the results that they want is that first, they don't know how to get good mentorship. Uh, secondly, they cannot navigate academia and entrepreneurship. And thirdly, they fail to build momentum before they get out of school. Effectively, what they do is they go through school solo. They don't talk to anyone greater than them, except for maybe their teachers. Um, and then they just do the school curriculum. And then when they graduate, they're handed their diploma and they think, all right, the magic scroll has been handed to me and now I will make so much money and make such a big difference in people's lives. And the reality of the situation, it's not like that. If you do that, you, you could end up like another doctor I know and you will flounder for 15 years until you find an organization that gives you the tools and the skills necessary to go to that level. So let's let's tear apart those, those three pitfalls because if you can figure out how to get mentorship how to manage academia and entrepreneurship, the, the, the curriculum and the extracurriculum. And if you can learn how to screen, lead, and close patients now, then when you get out of school, you're going to be already swinging for the fences. You'll, you'll get that diploma and say, okay, now it's official. Now I'm allowed to go do all the things I've been doing. And imagine how much better that'll be, right? So first, let's dive into how to get mentors. Um, here is how a lot of students do mentorship they find a really awesome doctor and they stalk them and they say, hey, can I come to your clinic and shadow you? They're like, yeah, I love having students shadow me. So you show up there and you're like, listen, I need a mentor. Will you, 
let's let's put it from the doctor's perspective. Will you babysit me for like an hour a week every week until I graduate and tell me everything you know and and not hold me accountable to anything? And that's obviously a terrible way to go about it. Here's a better way to go about it. What you do is you create a fair exchange for them. You create an opportunity for for them to benefit from time that you've spent with them. So that's where you you go to a doctor and you say, "Hey, can I get you new patients?" It's like, "Wow." That's fantastic. If they want to pay you, awesome. If they won't pay you, also awesome. Because guess what kind of skill you need to have when you get out of school? How to get new patients. So if you can just practice getting new patients and then actually have somewhere for them to go after you're done talking to them, um, that's a win-win. The doctor gets new patients, you get experience. And when you do that for the doctor, there's there's like this karmic debt, right? You know, karma goes around, comes around, they say. I don't personally believe in karma, but you know, that that's a philosophy discussion for another day. But what you got to realize is when you do good things for other people, they want to do good things for you. And so you start off, you're the first person to do a good thing. Um, it's like, uh, I wanted to get some students together. And we wanted to go listen to a doctor deliver his doctor's report, his, his new, stu- new patient orientation. And it's like, all right, everyone, buy a pound of coffee, dark roast, organic. That's the kind he likes. And we're going to bring that to him just as a gift, like a, a thank you so much. Um, like say you go to a seminar and there's a doctor that really stands out to out to you. Like buy them a beer. Go go hang out with them at the bar after seminar, and ask them if you can buy them a beer and just sit there and quietly listen and and don't dominate their time. Like they want to go, they want to talk to their peers, and that's really the conversations you want to listen in on. How do they talk about finances? How do they talk about leadership? How do they talk about um, managing staff and and patients? What does a real life experience look like? And so finding good mentorship can be found very tangibly in real life by seeking out great doctors and finding them and figuring out how to serve them first. And as you serve them, you will gain experience just from doing that. Even if they don't speak two words to you, like they just make you talk to the office manager so that you can get the schedule squared away. Um, you're going to learn something simply from getting to serve them. And of course, they're, they're just going to want to take that to the next level with you. Um, the other way you can get good mentors is by reading good books. There's there's some really great books out there. Um, one by Tony Robbins, uh, Unleash the Power Within. It's a really good one. Uh, pretty much anything by Jocko Willink. He's got uh, Discipline Equals Freedom Field Manual. And the book that really transformed my life was his uh, Extreme Ownership, which basically says, uh, listen, if your life sucks, that's your fault. And if life sucks for people around you, also your fault because you can do something better to make it better. Um, doesn't matter if it's someone over you or someone under you, it's on you to manifest your own destiny. So anyway, that, that's another podcast by itself. Um, but read some good books, listen to good podcasts, you know, look, look for Jim Rohn, look for Sigafoos, Reggie Gold, uh, Guy Reichman, find, find these YouTube videos of these great doctors. Um, even like sit down and look up Heidi Havoc, Heidi, H A A V I K. She is a PhD DC who studies what is subluxation? What is it the chiropractic is actually doing to the brain? And just listen to some of her stuff. She uses much more colorful language than I do. So it's a lot of fun to listen to. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever, like, like it's somewhere between like, uh, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. Like it's a, it's a swearing scientist. It's, it's so gratifying. Like it, in the same sentence, she will drop like 12 syllable words and also four letter words. So it's, it's really powerful. Um, but yeah, just start absorbing that stuff and start 
spending time around people. Um, but then that, that kind of tees me into this next point, okay? Navigating academia and entrepreneurship. What you have to realize is that your teachers, what, what is every teacher's dream? What do they hope to accomplish? I mean, obviously they want to, you know, give it to the next generation and help humanity go to another level and all that good stuff. But financially, their goal is to achieve tenure because once you get tenure, you're safe, you're secure, you got guaranteed money coming in and, and all you have to do is show up, teach the curriculum and you can go home at night knowing that things are squared away. And as chiropractors, we're never going to get that. Even if you run an insurance-based clinic, which I would strongly advise against because insurance, yeah, they, yeah. Whew, touch on a lot of topics I want to dive into today. <laughs> but uh, realize that if they are your only mentor, they're going to get you in the same safety-seeking mindset, which as an entrepreneurial doctor of chiropractic, that means you're starting your own business to run your own way. That's part of what attracts a lot of people to chiropractic. You have to adopt a different mindset. And so that means you have to have two school schedules. You have to have the one school schedule that's imposed on you by, <coughs> excuse me, by academia that has uh, all the classes you got to take, all the hours you got to put in, all the studying you got to do. And you also need to have a, a course schedule for how you're going to that next level. That includes things like seminars, it includes podcasts, it includes um, screenings, it includes, and screenings, I know it's 2020, screenings are, are like not allowed in a lot of states right now. Going outside's not allowed in a lot of states right now. But but bear with me here, okay? Like we're we're it's not gonna last forever. We're gonna get back to a real state of normal and just need to hang in there and, and keep doing the next right thing. And so when it comes to creating a second schedule, you need to put it over your first schedule in a lot of ways. Because with school, yes, you should aim for the four point Um but I would say in the grand scheme of things, remember that your patients will never ask you what your GPA was. And what good is having a 4.0 if you don't know how to get new patients, educate new patients, convert new patients, and keep new patients for a lifetime, right? Like what, what good is school if you can't actually serve your community? So if that means you got to pull out a B or a high C so that you can learn how to do all those other more important real life things, do that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the biggest thing there. I think like you got to write yourself two schedules and make, make entrepreneurship a uh, priority. And I don't care if you're first quarter or 14th quarter, you got to be going to clubs. Clubs is where you're going to learn more of that hands-on application of things. Uh, I know that like for, for me, first quarter, I got into MPI, Motion Palpation Institute, and I got to do hands-on, which we were off campus first quarter I was there because it was 2020 and uh, they weren't letting anybody do anything in person. But but in MPI, I was able to learn how to palpate full spine, do motion palpation, static palpation, visualization, and how to find subluxation. And we also learned how to set up for adjustments. Now, of course, you know, if you're under six quarter, you're not allowed to adjust. But uh, let's say if there was a zombie apocalypse and everything got shut down, I would know how to, I would have a basic understanding of adjusting full spine and extremities simply from having done one quarter of that. Now, am I any good at it? No, no. But tell you what, when I get to eighth quarter and we're in that student clinic, I'm not going to be dropping people off the table like I've seen in that student clinic. I'm not going to not know what to do with my hands. I'm not going to be sitting there in front of my student patient having my doctor supervisor 
teach me how to do a thrust with the appropriate speed and, and intention because I'll have been practicing it for eight quarters before I got there. You know what I'm saying? So go to clubs. Um, I'm, this quarter I'm in applied kinesiology club. That stuff is straight wizardry. Like you guys have seen uh, the movie, Dr. Strange, like that scene where Dr. Strange meets the bald lady and she just like flips through that book with like meridian lines and, and uh, anatomy textbook, like all this stuff, like, Oh, it's all communicating the same thing. And, and then she's like, like kicks his soul out of his body, like astral projection. I feel like that every week at AK, like, whoa, I had no idea how interconnected all of this was. Um, so anyway, applied kinesiology is cool. Um, those tonal techniques are fantastic. Also, spinal biomechanics is fantastic. Gonstead is a good one. Gonstead, for me, was a little academic. And, and for me, something you should realize is I, I've been a high-level exam tech since 2015. So uh, I spent a year in one clinic basically functioning as the exam doctor. And I don't say that to brag. I say that simply to show you like, hey, this is the experience I've gotten. Like I know how to sit down, do a new patient exam, how to check posture, range of motion, static palpate, and how to uh, take a full set of x-rays on them if that's what they need. And uh, and then after that, I also know how to mark those x-rays and how to figure out the listings and how to do a Gonstead short leg analysis and how to measure scoliosis, how to, how to measure forward head posture, curvature, loss of curvature, um, watch for spinal rotation, those kinds of things. Not even how to recognize a lot of anomalies, like whether it's uh, a genesis of the odontoid or uh, spina bifida or, or uh, even checking flexion extension films and seeing if there's ligament damage. Those are things that I've gotten to learn from the spinal biomechanics side. So for me, sitting down for two hours on a Tuesday night and for the first like hour and 50 minutes learning just the science, not super valuable to me. For those of you that have no idea what the hell an x-ray is, what an x-ray listing is, that is super powerful. In fact, there's a, a group of people that I get together with on Tuesday nights and half of them are, are in that club and, and they love it. And it's super empowering. It's helping them with their spinal biomechanics class, helping them with their motion palpation class. Uh, it helps with the sciences. So um, just because I don't do something doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. So make sure you're plugging into clubs. That way you get the entrepreneurial side of things. Um, and then this third piece is the failure to build momentum. We want to make sure that we learn how to screen, lead, and close now. And so here's what that means. You, you have got to figure out what it takes to set up an opportunity to engage with non-chiropractic patients. And then in that opportunity to have powerful, moving leadership conversations with those non-chiropractic patients in such a way that you get them scheduled to come in and do a full new patient exam. Because here's the thing, you're standing in a Walmart parking lot, you cannot have someone sign a $1,200 care plan just on that first conversation. You gotta figure out how to tee them into the next conversation. And then you need to learn how to have that next conversation. Okay, when they show up in your clinic, what does an exam look like? What does it look like to, to thoroughly figure out what their, what their dysfunction is? Where is their subluxation? And how is that hampering their, their expression of innate? And then figure out how to communicate that to them. Like, oh, yeah, you have a right short leg. So it makes perfect sense that you have infertility issues. You know, like, why? That doesn't make any sense to the layman until you point out that the most powerful system in the body is the nervous system. And so the brain connects to every cell, tissue, and organ through that spinal cord and the nerves that come from it. And until they get that, they won't come back for the next appointment. And then the next point is like, okay, so you're going to actually adjust them. 
How's that feel? How's that look? Do you, do they feel confidence in your hands? And and then after that, you gotta like close them and their whole family to care. That's what we call the the doctor's report. So you know it's forty five minutes to two hours where they sit and listen to you teach about what makes us unique among all the professions and what we can and cannot do for them and for their family and why their whole family should get under care and why they should stay under care for the rest of their lives. And, and some of you guys, you may may not be going to, well, you might be going to my same school and be arguing with me here. I, I know there's a lot of students that come into school and they, they're more of that like therapeutic mindset, like, hey, I was gonna do PT, but honestly, I think chiropractic is more effective. Uh, it's also easier on my body and it pays better. So it just makes sense. And so the only kind of patients you're hoping to see are people that have back pain, neck pain, joint issues, athletes. And what I would encourage you to do is maybe let go of your preconceived notions of chiropractic. And that's something I'm seeing a lot in my current quarters. There's a lot of people who come in, they're like, hey, no, I'm a tonal chiropractor. No, I'm a, 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 a spinal segmental alignment chiropractor. Oh, no, I only do extremities. Like, oh, I only adjust, uh, you know, all, every adjustment only takes two minutes and, you know, high volume, high volume. Or, oh, no, I'm, I'm only going to spend an hour with every patient. And I, I refuse to see high volume because I'm not able to get to the, the deeper issues of, uh, of my patients and help them go to the highest levels. Like, hey, listen, everything you think you know, you don't know, okay? In fact, most graduates don't know the first like five, 10 years of practice. They have no clue, no clue. Like that's why you came to school, right? Like if you're so smart, why the hell are you in school? If you got this all figured out, then why do you have to take these tests? Why do you have to pass these boards? Stop for a moment and become the student again become humble enough to realize that, huh, there may be more than I understand. Because here's the thing, like I'm doing the same thing right now. Like for me going to applied kinesiology club, that's not what I learned in chiropractic. What I learned in chiropractic is you move the bone, God does the healing. And if the bones are out of alignment, you have to hammer them into position. We need to bend that spine so it has those three cervical curves and it's completely straight from front to back. And while I agree that is the normal alignment of a healthy spine and nervous system, I don't agree that wrestling with innate is always the best choice. And so that that's the whole premise of chiropractic, that the body has this innate intelligence to it. And I'm not saying that's a spiritual thing. I'm just saying that, that it's the, the, there's like, how the hell does a tree know to drop leaves in the fall and to grow them again in the spring? I don't know. There's some sort of mechanism within it that regulates the, the processes within its own body of the tree. And so in the human body, there's the same thing. Now, if the body is doing something that I don't agree with, like it has high blood pressure or it's gone diabetic or it's growing cancer, that's my, my decision. That's not the body's decision to argue with that because the body never does anything wrong on purpose. What it does is it simply does the best it can with what it has in the time it has available. And you can go back to the 33 principles for that and, and realize that really the best doctor a person could ever have is already on the inside working full time. The only reason that doctor is incapable of helping them achieve their health outcomes is because there's an interference between that intelligence and the organs that it is responsible for. And so we can talk about whether it's an osseous subluxation or a neurological subluxation or a tonal subluxation, but none of that freaking matters to me. What matters is are we reintegrating the body with that something that makes it work better, okay? And so for me, I'm going into applied kinesiology 
realizing that I can do some muscle testing and there's some weird stuff like meridians. I I didn't know anything about meridians before I got in there. I'm like, okay, so now we're going into Eastern medicine. I'm like, all right, so are we going to freaking grind up tiger penis so that people can, uh, you know, have increased whatever? Um, No, like I'm not going to become an herbalist, but, but the thing is, you got to look at everything in life and look, learn everything and be humble enough to say, okay, maybe there's something I don't see here that is actually valuable. And then you take that thing and you eat the meat and you spit out the bones. Okay. So, um, that's my, my little rant there about getting, getting into clubs and, and building momentum and getting outside of what you think you already know. Um, so yeah, what, what you need to do is learn how to communicate all those things. Um, Dang, that was a big tangent that I went off on. Um, so yeah, right now you need to practice all of those skills that you're going to be doing in your clinic. And here's here's a practical action step. This is actually the whole reason that I decided to make this podcast is because over the past six weeks, I have had a group of six to 12 students meeting at my house every Tuesday night at five o'clock. And what do we do? Well, we hang out for an hour to two hours, usually more like an hour and a half to two hours. And what do we do first? First thing we do is we practice communication. For several weeks, you know what we did? We took a rubber band, we put it on our finger, and we explained how that is like a subluxation. So we can figure out how to communicate to the layman what it means when the organ is disconnected from its source and how it begins to malfunction and what doesn't make sense about it. You know, like say, okay, imagine with me. I want you to close your eyes, imagine this visual demonstration. Okay, I'll do the rubber band thing with you so you can practice communicating it. What we do is you take that rubber band, you put it around the uh, proximal interphalangeal joint of your finger and you put it on tight and watch as the tip of the finger begins to turn red. And you say, hey, what's happening to my finger? And you're gonna say, well, it's turning red. I'm like, yeah, and it's also starting to go numb. And if I leave it on there very long, what color will it turn next? Uh, probably purple and it'll begin to hurt and say, okay, so now I have pain, I have hypoxia, I have uh, edema, I have, you know, you can diagnose what's going on on the end of the finger, right? And then you ask your patient, you say, hey, is there a pill I should take to fix this? And they might say a painkiller, like, okay, cool. So it's a painkiller. Now I can't feel my finger, but does that fix the problem? No, it doesn't fix the problem. Like, okay, is there like a cream that I should put on here to help with the color? No. Um, Is there any sort of nutrition plan or fitness routine or stretching protocol that I can do? Any CBD oil or, or essential oil that is going to fix this finger? And the answer is always no. There's nothing that you can do for that finger. And the thing is, if you do nothing long enough, it'll eventually die, become gangrenous, and you'll die of infection because the finger rotted off. And so it's like, okay, well, last resort, should I do surgery? Should I amputate this finger so that it doesn't do all of that? And they'll say, no, that makes no sense. What makes sense is to take the rubber band off of the proximal interphalangeal joint. And so when you do that, all of a sudden, guess what happens? the finger goes back to a state of restoration. You know, it goes from purple to red to normal. It goes from pain to numbness to normal. It, it has to retrace its steps and it eventually restores function and flow. And how is that possible? Well, you take that fingertip and you remove the interference on that joint so that it can connect back to the cardiovascular nerve supply of the hand and the arm. This is just like your body. So when you have an organ, whether it's an organ or an organ system, an adrenal gland or an entire endocrine system, whether it's your cardiovascular system or just your heart, if there's interference between the brain and that organ or organ system, then that organ system will begin to malfunction. It will enter a state of dis-ease and it breaks the safety pin cycle, for those of you that know about that. 
And so what doesn't make sense is to take any allopathic approach. What makes sense is to simply remove the interference. And that's what chiropractic does. We take the rubber band off, we, we remove the subluxation, whatever it is. I don't care how you define it. All we know is that when we touch the spine in the right way at the right time, the body reintegrates and miracles happen. And so we as chiropractors, we expect miracles as the standard of care, simply because we remove interferences and allow the body to function as it was designed to. And so anyway, in our great doctor squad that meets on Tuesday nights, we start off communicating that. It's like, all right, Joey, you say it. Okay, you say it. All right, Alyssa, you say it. And we all take turns saying it so that we can practice talking in front of each other. And the next level is to be like, all right, hey, listen, Garrett, you sucked at this, this, and this. Let's tighten it up by doing this, this, and this. And so we're able to peer-to-peer -peer coach each other and say, okay, this makes sense. That doesn't make sense. And and you can train with each other. Like, hey, I'm going to be the, the prospective patient. You be the doctor. And I can be a nice patient or I can be a snarky patient. You can figure out how to do that give and take so that when you go out there into the real world, outside of our chiropractic bubble, and you're talking to people, whether it's family members or whatever, you don't have to feel awkward or stupid. So, um, no, it looks like I can only record up to 20, 30 minutes on my web browser. Do, do, do. Well, tell you what, in that case, um, here's what you guys got to do. Pull together a handful of students and start meeting on the regular. Make it a part of your routine schedule. Because we start off, we talk principal, and then I get together, I share something or a podcast that I've been listening to. And then after that, we pull the tables out and we practice everything that we've been learning in class and in clubs. And that way, we get extracurricular practice. So I want to tell you guys right now, go find a handful of students that you love, you think that you could connect with, and make it a date on a routine basis to meet every night of the week at this time so that you can go to the next level and become great doctors. Start a great doctor squad now.